Hey guys, uh, my name's Elijah, and today we have a treat. Uh, I'm going to bring on my friend Rihanna. Uh, we went through ministry school together, and um, we went through the elections together afterwards, and we both had different political viewpoints. And what happened was that we both were able to talk through those, I think, with a level of maturity. I rarely found... Uh, in, in most people. And so I want to bring her on to discuss, well, how do you navigate this? How, how do you disagree with people um, and bring life to conversations um, rather than destruction? And to just talk to her about what her experience of being in the church uh, is was like during that season so that maybe we can learn from it and become better people. So welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so honored and excited yeah. to be here. Well, let's start off. Tell me your life story. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because, you know, people want to get to know you. Um, take a few minutes and just kind of give me your background and yeah. bring me up to going through Bethel. Yeah, so I was born in Mesa, Arizona to, uh, you know, conservative parents. All my life, all I knew was Christianity, Jesus, mm -hmm. religion. I went to a private school for most of my life that was Reformed Presbyterian. Uh, so I I was raised, uh, you know, with Calvinism and, and those set of, sets of beliefs, even though that's not a really what my parents believed. So there was a lot of tension between what I was learning at home versus what I was learning at school. Um, I grew up, went to public high school, and I mean, it's really my whole life has just been Christianity, has just been mm -hmm. Jesus. And my whole life has been that I am a Republican, not because I really understood what those words meant. I didn't really know the difference, to be honest, between what a Republican and a Democrat was, except that Democrats were pro-abortion and Republicans were anti-abortion. And according to the Bible, we don't want to murder people. So that's why we vote Republican, right? And I found myself in crowds where that was never challenged. You know, I, I, in churches, the majority of the evangelical church tends to be conservative, Republican. And then mm -hmm. I ended up going into ministry school, which is where you and I met um, in Redding, California. And I think we'd agree the majority of the people there were also very conservative. I actually specifically remember in our first year together, that was when the election between, was it John McCain and Obama took place? Okay. Yeah. And yeah, you're like, I don't remember this. Um, <laughs> I remember it specifically because I had a roommate who was from Australia, but she had dual citizenship and she voted for Obama. And it truly like shocked me to my core because I had never met somebody who could proclaim to love Jesus and think Obama was the good choice. I also did not have an understanding of what Obama stood for, what John McCain stood for. Again, I was just voting based off of you know, this is the Christian way to vote versus that's not the Christian way to vote. And so that, and I remember too, um, you know, Bethel was holding like prayer nights leading up to the election. And I was always just very aware of what I believed at the time was like, there was so much pressure on us as Christians to make sure we vote correctly because we need to protect our country. 
So we go through, you know, BSSM. I, I wouldn't really say politics was really something that was discussed a lot in no. classes. Uh, okay. Yeah, it wasn't. I don't really have any memory of that. Um, but then in 2016, that all started to shift. <laughs> and I was no longer a student at Bethel, but I was still going to the church. And I was still, you know, in relationship with a lot of the people there. And it was between, obviously, we all remember Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And at the time, you know, the, the, let me just say the people that I followed on social media, let's say, all I was seeing was these posts about how Donald Trump is the chosen one, right? And about, you know, sharing videos of him getting prophetic words that he's going to be the president and he's going to be doing all these amazing things. And I didn't really know anything different. I knew I had a few friends that were a bit more liberal um, that would express their annoyance with Trump, but it was never enough to really make me question it. And so I voted for Trump in the 2016 election. For me personally, it started to shift. My beliefs started to get challenged once Trump actually took office, um, truly within days of the inauguration. Hmm. Just because I noticed... I would ask questions to people that I trusted, that I looked up to in that environment, and they didn't really have an actual response for me. So I had asked a question like, well, why is Trump, you know, associating with this person who has ties with white nationalism? And their response was, well, we don't know, but we just have to trust that God is going to put good people in his circle, which felt like an okay answer, but I was also like, well, but we never really gave Obama that benefit, right? We never mm-hmm. just kind of like wrote off things that Obama did by just saying like, we just need to trust God. It was quite the opposite. Like Obama was, you know, vilified. And I mean, I truly was raised when, when the Obama presidency was happening, people in my circle were calling him a terrorist. Um, he was a Muslim, a secret Muslim. Mm-hmm. His plan was to, you know eradicate the United States and make it into like a modern day, like Afghanistan. It was all these really crazy theories, Mm -hmm. right? But what's interesting is that I believed all of them. I fed into that fear and that belief. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, it it was truly the Donald Trump presidency. I felt like I just kind of sat back for the first two years and watched a lot of what was going on. And then it was in 2020 where I started to be a bit more vocal about things that I was concerned about. Um, I remember I felt like I had to come out as a Democrat publicly to people. Um, And and that was a really scary thing for Mm -hmm. me to do uh, because a lot of, a lot of relationships in the United States, I would say, I don't know what it's like outside because I don't know anything different, but we have a really hard time being in a close relationship with people that believe differently than us. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's been your experience or maybe that's just like a evangelical experience, but. Well, I think it's a human experience. Tribalism is natural to the human condition and you really have to fight it. Um, Mm -hmm. Whether you're evangelical, liberal, um, you have to say, look, my 150 people I'm going to want to protect and I will demonize the other unless I resist that. And right. so it seemed like you were growing up in environments and experiencing po- a tribalistic type of politic 
rather right. than, hey, let's philosophically reflect on why we vote for these principles or, you know, think through scripture or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and so do you think – how do you think you address tribalism, whether you called it that or not? Um, yeah, I, I would love to hear that. Yeah. Well, you know, I guess the best way to go about it, and I still don't know the best way I'm learning, but in my experience, you know, when I, when I made it known that I was not a Trump supporter and that I was going to be voting for Biden, it it did cause a lot of discourse. But Mm -hmm. what I found is the best way to go about it is to try to present your argument, quote unquote argument, or your views in a way that is not attacking the other side. And I tried really hard to ask questions. I tried to come about it in a way of asking questions. I thought you did that excellently. Um, I would see posts that would go, I've got a question. And Mm -hmm. I think one of the things, regardless of your philosophical view, you can do is to ask questions that you think may challenge the other side and be Mm. willing to interact and defend. um, Because I think what breaks tribalism ultimately is that we hear what other people have to say and we let them say things maybe our in-group is not saying to us. And so the goal of this podcast isn't to say, hey, Republicans are bad or good, Democrats are bad or good. How do we talk about this stuff and not turn the people who disagree with us into demons? Right. And it's hard because, you know, even if you look at it, there's been studies that have been done that show that the same part of our brain that processes politics and political beliefs, religious beliefs, is the same part of our brain that processes our identity. So Mm -hmm. understanding that made it make sense for me because... Mm -hmm. You know, and and I would have that trigger internally, and I still find it sometimes. You know, somebody will share a meme or they'll share a post that is belittling maybe a belief that I have, and Mm -hmm. there is something inside of me that gets triggered. But now knowing that it may not, it's not that what they're saying is triggering me, it's that I'm feeling threatened in my existence, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. And, And the only way to, to really go about it is like you said, is to actually have conversation where you seek to understand because there's a difference between wanting to have conversation when, because you want to prove a point. Mm-hmm. And I, I, for me, I just, I really needed to ask questions because like I said, most of my life I was Republican, but I had no idea what that meant. I couldn't tell mm-hmm. you a, a conservative view on immigration. I couldn't tell you conservative views mm-hmm. on anything but abortion. That was really the only mm. thing that I understood. And so asking these questions, it truly was to learn about the political party that I had been associated with my entire life, you know, mm-hmm. um, that I just didn't even know to ask. And for me, the the best conversations that I had were with people like you or people who actually brought an opinion to the table, but not as a defense mechanism, not to have Mm -hmm. like a gotcha moment. Um, And really seeking to understand, because I think we, we truly do forget like the human 
behind mm-hmm. the internet, you know, especially right. since most of these conversations, we're not sitting at a dinner table. We're sitting on our phones, you know, responding to comments. We're on Facebook, we're on mm-hmm. Instagram, Twitter, and it's really easy to, to just forget that you're interacting with another human being. And not only that, interacting with somebody that you have history with. And I think that mm-hmm. was the most painful part for me is, you know, at Bethel, we all went through a very, very intense, intimate, emotional experience together that mm-hmm. I think bonded a lot of us in ways that we may not find again in this lifetime. And it was really painful to to lose people <laughs> because mm-hmm. we had a you know different opinion on politics. Mm-hmm. And um, it was really easy for me in those moments because I, I didn't mm-hmm. do it perfectly. I know that there was a few times I had to post an apology on my Facebook <laughs> because mm-hmm. I felt like maybe I got a little too aggressive. And it was mm-hmm. because like... I guess it goes back to what you're talking about, the tribalism, you know, Mm I'm, I'm feeling threatened. I'm getting pushed out of this, Mm -hmm. this group in this environment, I'm being rejected. And so I need to lash out to prove Mm -hmm. to them that I either deserve to be there or that I'm better off without them. You know, Mm -hmm. it's a scary thing to, to try to navigate. Mm -hmm. Well, I think also, let's say I post, I'm Elijah, I'm a Republican you may read all these things into me where what right. I mean by this is I value free speech and small government and the right to bear arms yeah. uh, higher than, let's say, another party might. Um, and, you know, if you say you're a Democrat, what happens in my mind, like I'm not mm-hmm. talking about other people. It goes to the extreme. It's like, is she a member of Antifa? Does she want to burn America to the ground? Like, and so yeah. we have to resist that in ourselves and go, well, why did you vote this way? And some people may go, well, I just have a, I think Biden's right on immigration. I think right. Biden's right on health care. Mm-hmm. That's a different story. Like, right. um, it's not, you know, there are pro-life Democrats. Um, mm-hmm. And when we put people into these extreme categories automatically um, because if I did – if you did the same thing to me, you would go, Elijah voted for Trump because he wanted an insurrection. You know what right. I'm saying? Like like right. not because he thinks you know a large military is a good idea. And those, those are worthy of conversation like how big right. should the military be? How small should it be? And most people that – or in my friendship circle, Republican or Democrat aren't the extremist. Um, But my mind makes that up. And like that is so human. And that's how we get to genocides eventually is we just let these Trumps up or these characters of other people and we get nasty. Like you should never call someone a goon or, you know, an idiot because that's, that's the pathway to dehumanization. Um, right. What helps you humanize people? Well, you know, having conversation, but also mm-hmm. going into part of the reason why we have these extreme views of the opposite party, mm-hmm. like you were saying, I think is because of the media we consume, you know, sure. because I maybe am more liberal than you are. I likely Mm -hmm. consume more liberal media and the liberal media's job is to convince me 
that they have my best interests in mind Mm -hmm. and that the conservative party doesn't. And the way to do that, the easy, the fast track to do that is to, um, you know, make it out that the conservative party, they're all a bunch of racist people who are trying to over, you know, overthrow the election. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the same goes for conservatives. You know, I, I used to watch conservative media and they did the exact same thing to Mm -hmm. liberals. It was like exactly what you said. They're scary. They're evil. Like they want to destroy America. And so one thing that I did was I actually unfollowed every, every news source (laughs) that I was following Mm -hmm. and that I was um, getting information from. And even the ones that I normally really agreed with, because I realized it was only giving me one side, you know, they wanted me to to think Mm -hmm. a certain way about Mm -hmm. these things. And I I try, I sought out, you know, people that were um, nonpartisan, people that Mm -hmm. were, did a really good job at showing both sides. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Sharon says so on Instagram, but she is a government teacher and she gained a large following over the um, 2020 election because that's what she does. She doesn't she doesn't favor one party or over the other. Mm. I'm sure she does personally, but her work doesn't show that. Right. Um, and she has a really good job of offering facts without the emotions involved. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. I loved that. I have never heard her say a negative thing about Trump and Mm. I don't even like Trump. You know, it feels there's some, it feels good to me to hear something negative said about Trump because that's fueling, you know, my, my belief that I already have set, but she doesn't do that. She's, I've never heard her say anything negative about Biden. And so, um, I guess just seeking out more, more information, just trying to learn the facts, trying to have conversations Mm -hmm. with people, you know, um, one of my, my closest friends is a Trump supporter and we disagree obviously on the way we think the country should go (laughs) and that it should be run. But, I know her heart. I know that Mm -hmm. like, I know that she's not racist. I know, you know, the things that matter to her. And also, you know, we're not doing anyone favors if we want to just demonize the other side, because if the point Mm -hmm. of politics is to try to influence people, right? Mm -hmm. We all want people to think the way we do. I'm going to be a lot less likely to listen to the people who are calling me names, who are getting defensive, who are being mean, who are making fun of people that believe the way I believe. I'm not going to pay attention to them. I'm not going to want to hear their side of things, Mm -hmm. but I am going to pay attention to the people who are willing to have conversation and who are asking me questions, not because they're trying to catch me in something, Mm -hmm. but because they actually just want to understand. And that's what a lot of us get wrong. You know, we're all, Mm -hmm. we're, we're so addicted to that gotcha moment, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. especially with the internet. Um, but it, people don't convert beliefs just because we 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 served them a gotcha moment. They they convert beliefs because of the heart connection and the logic behind that belief. I I agree, and I think also one of the things American politics does, and it's built into our structure, is that we have primary elections that are just to our one party. And then we vote the extreme people in. And in those primary elections, um, the more extreme you are, the more Republican you are, 
it eliminates the people who can reach across the aisle and go, hey, there's five things this Democrat's saying that are good. We all agree on. Let's build bridges rather than burn bridges. And <laughs> if I get into this rhetoric that these are devils, they're evil, mm-hmm. um, rather than they're people who see, come at the world, maybe even from a different worldview, but if we're to be Christians, we're to be salt and light, and that mm-hmm. means we have to see the good and the human in the other side. Uh, God's mm-hmm. image does not leave people ever, even, right. no matter how sinful, how broken, um, and I can be someone's friend no matter and I can see the good. I, I've never met people that I've went, they're totally evil um, right. until we start spinning it through our, our media. And mm-hmm. so we have to be wise with our words. Um, I also think something I learned during this is that the definitions of where I learned something that may be an evil idea, someone might use that same word and it, they mean something entirely different, and I have to work on figuring out what they mean. Because right. when I study philosophy, you know, and we're talking about critical theory, we're talking about, let's say, someone who believes there's no such thing, some people, that of moral knowledge and that all truth claims are wills to power. And then I talk to my black friends, and they say, no, what I mean is I want you to teach Slavery was taught in evangelicalism as a virtue, and right. for us to talk about that, and I'm like, oh, if I'm saying I don't like critical theory to that person, I'm telling right. them I don't want to talk about the history. Well, of course I want to talk about the history of slavery and never to like dehumanize these people. And so we have got to define our terms and not just demonize certain ideas even, if that makes right. sense. right. Yeah. Yeah, that does make sense. And I think that there's just, there's, there's so much noise. There's so much Mm -hmm. noise out there. And, um, and the truth is we can, we could come up with the most extreme idea possible and we will find something on the internet Mm -hmm. to validate that extreme idea. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, we saw that happen with the conspiracy theories out there Mm -hmm. and, but the change happens in relationship and, I was actually doing a um, Bible study during the election season where, uh, you know, I was reading through the Gospels every single month. And so I was only taking in what Jesus was saying. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. the thing that I noticed over and over and over again is he cared about people and he cared about Mm -hmm. the heart. And even if you look at statistics, you know, we can be as loud as we want on our social media page, you know, defending our point, our, um, our, our candidate to the death. But if we're not actually doing things within our community, nothing is going to change. You know, mm-hmm. abortion rates go down when people volunteer at clinics, uh, when people are offering services to, you know, women who have found themselves pregnant. And um, just all these like huge issues that we are trying to just to have the government take care of for us. It actually, mm-hmm. the change starts when we start doing things within our own community. And that's what Jesus did. You know, mm-hmm. he wasn't out there fundraising to, to promote a candidate because they were going to make change. Um, and that convicted me a lot because I realized like, yeah, I actually, I don't do, 
I don't do anything in my Mm -hmm. community that is going to help these situations that I'm saying I'm very concerned about. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I think it just, it comes back down to relationship. It it really Mm -hmm. does. And that sounds so cliche, but if we're just yelling at each other on the internet, we're, Mm -hmm. we're going to see another riot happen. You know, it's just Mm -hmm. inevitable because people are just dying to be heard. And the reality is we're not having these, most of us, I I shouldn't say all of us, Mm -hmm. a lot of us aren't having these conversations in real life. You know, it's much easier to get on the internet and yell at somebody. Well, I also think you go back to scripture, you were not considered a just person if you didn't help the poor and the needy and that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the first free healthcare came from the church and for a thousand years, the church provided health care mm-hmm. to they would go set up a cathedral in town anyone who came in they would mm-hmm. take care of and so we as a church well we can complain hey i don't want to pay taxes on this this is a great debate but if you're right. not taking care of the sick mm-hmm. that's the problem and we live with this illusion that Somehow Christianity is merely a belief system. Well, it is. You should believe certain things about Jesus and his resurrection, but you should live it. And the failure to live this is where, because it's just advocating our responsibility. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think that's very important. And, you know, some people have calls that they feel I'm called to this sector of society versus that one. Mm-hmm. I, I completely understand that. Um, right. But what I think we it's it's so rare, especially in charismatic communities, because we just want to go pray me and Jesus in the prayer house mm-hmm. and we don't do the stuff or we just assume doing the stuff is praying for people right. rather than like, OK, how do we get food to these families? Um, and it's 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 really I think if you would use the word deconstruction, I mm-hmm. think for me, it's seeing the lack of even my own effort in mm-hmm. like doing the things Jesus is just clear in the Sermon on the Mount. And right. we have to become those people. Right. I actually, I'm not sure if you're familiar with um, Dr. Stephen Blackhouse, but I had him as a guest yeah. on my podcast and he had said... He said, you know, it's really easy to to run a country based off the Ten Commandments. It's not easy to run a country based off the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that's actually, ha- that's what we're called to do as Christians. And, you know, and you mentioned the poor. I mean, I can't think of one people group that is talked about more in the Bible than poor people. Like, that sure. is that is the heart of God is to care for Um, the sick, the widows, the poor, the orphans. Mm -hmm. And just like you were saying, that's why I got so convicted because I was getting angry, you know, in, in these conversations I'm having with people where, you know, you had brought up like, well, they just don't want to pay taxes. And, you know, I I'm finding all these arguments in my head about why they're wrong and why they're hypocrites. And then I realized I'm actually not doing anything different. And just because I'm mm-hmm. going to vote in a way that I think might help this more, that doesn't mm-hmm. mean I'm off the hook. You know, I'm mm-hmm. I'm also just sitting at home, not caring for the poor, you know, not caring for the widows or the orphans. Mm-hmm. And 
and that's what really convicted me was, you know, we, we put so much emphasis on how we vote, but very little emphasis on what we can actually do to make these changes mm-hmm. ourselves, you know, and, and it's hard. It, it, it's so much easier to sleep at night because, you know, and just tell yourself, I have a clear conscience because I voted for this. So if those people mm-hmm. aren't, you know, fed or taken care of, it's not my problem. That's not how I voted. But really, like, you know, we're not called to vote correctly. We're called to love people. Right. And I would say this is a blind spot in the conservative party. And I think we talked about this some, is if you believe this should all be privatized, then you have mm-hmm. even a greater responsibility to ensure it happens. And right. in early American Puritan culture, they really took that on. Like mm-hmm. it was the church's responsibility to take care of all the poor and house them. Right. And so what we've done is in cons- conservative view is we just go, ah, you know, it's it should be private, but we don't take that on ourselves. And so right. I think that's a, a big, big, big issue. Um, I, I remember during... Uh, the riots is just thinking, where are the conservative ideas to help the black community in the private? Like, if that's what you really believe, that mm-hmm. we can build these communities up privately, we need to be mm-hmm. enacting private social change. It, it made me start giving to initiatives to help with justice, uh, you know, mm-hmm. people who have given been given disproportionate sentences in the black community. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that was the big conviction for me was right. like, I need to put my money where my mouth is, at least right. in that. Um, so one of the things you and I have talked about um, is conspiracy theories. And mm-hmm. I, I don't want us to call out anybody's name, but what I do want to do is say, I know those negatively impacted you. And could you talk mm-hmm. about um, like people sharing conspiracy theories that who taught you religion? I, I had a friend that went yeah. through a very similar thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, being raised in the church, there's, it, it's interesting. There's different levels of celebrity in different circles, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. in like our circle that we were in, there were certain leaders that were just, you know, very, very highly respected. You know, you and I both mm-hmm. went to Bethel. We both spent, um, sorry, I know you said you didn't want to call any names and then I just said Bethel, sure. but we both went to a school where we spent thousands of dollars to learn from these people. And, and I learned a lot of great things that have positively changed my life forever. But then when the conspiracy theory started to happen at first, you know, I kind of didn't think anything of it. I thought it was maybe just a little silly, but then we started to see people like really gravitating towards it and leaders that I really looked up to and respected and would have done anything to be in the same room as them sharing these conspiracy theories to their followers. And, you know, I would just read through comments on social media of people just eating it up and, um, falling in line with it. And what bothered me was it just really made me start to question, like, if they're fully believing this, what else did they believe that they taught to me that wasn't true? <laughs> you know, sure. I, I questioned so many things that, that I was, you know, 
told to believe. And I think the most disheartening part for me truly in all of this is, you know, there are still conspiracy theories going around and, you know, some people still stick with the original conspiracy theories, but there's been no apology for the conspiracy Mm -hmm. theories that they were widely promoting that did not come true. It's, you know, you can't deny that there was no validity to it. And I truly think that that is what did the most damage for me was seeing that they were promoting a conspiracy theory. It was wrong. It was very well known it was wrong, but there was no apology and they were sticking with it. And so it really rocked my faith in a lot of ways Mm. because it made me, I couldn't listen to some of the same, um, you know, preachers that I used to listen to Mm. because I felt this like, I just didn't trust them anymore. I just Mm. didn't trust them. I also, I also saw the way in which they were able to present the conspiracy theories to be very convincing. So that also, you know, made me very like weary of trusting them again. And for me personally, in my journey, like it was hard for me to listen to worship music. It was hard for Mm. me to, to even connect with God. It, It truly like my connection with God felt so foreign to me. And I felt like I had no idea who God was. I had no idea if God existed in the way that I thought, wonder, you know, believed he had existed. Mm-hmm. And I would, it's not like an exaggeration to say I would literally wait, lay awake at nighttime, like just questioning everything, like running through experiences that I maybe had in ministry school, running mm-hmm. through experiences that I had in church and just devastated that I didn't have the answers anymore. And I actually started seeing a therapist for this very reason, because there was a part of me that was like, you know, I know in my heart of hearts that Jesus has to be somewhere in this mess. And mm-hmm. and just to clarify, it's not like there were churches on the more liberal side that were necessarily helping either. You know, mm-hmm. I was definitely able to find people that were going through the same like grieving process that I went through, but they also were doing the same thing as they were demonizing the other side and nobody felt safe to me. I I felt Mm -hmm. very, I felt very homeless politically. I felt very Mm -hmm. homeless um, spiritually. And in my first session with my therapist, you know, that's what I said to him is I was like, I need to find Jesus in this mess because I don't Mm -hmm. even know if he exists anymore. (laughs) Like everything Mm -hmm. that I believed it was like, just got challenged and, Um, Mm -hmm. it really started me on a journey, which has been an amazing journey. I'm so Mm -hmm. grateful for it, but it did start me on a journey of like, why do I believe what I believe? Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I agree. Um, kind of, you know, I've worn a leader hat for 20 years in the church Mm -hmm. and I've been in highly intellectual church. I've been in highly experiential church. And one thing that I find in highly experiential churches is that they do not prepare people to question their faith um, Mm -hmm. or work them through, well, how do you know God exists? How do you know Jesus rose from the dead? Uh, Mm -hmm. Why do we believe Scripture? Mm -hmm. Or it's like propaganda-level answers. It's just (laughs) just believe it. Um, And I find that 
when most people hit these challenges, like there are no tools in the organization for it. And if you're big enough, just people fall aside and there's a new class coming in and they're the heroes. Um, And so I think that's hyper important is, you know, my life's mission is to meld the intellectual and the supernatural back together again or (laughs) Like it, it really gets hard. And I think that's why people get into conspiracy theories is no one's taught them how to teach, think critically. Right. And it's the internet age where um, there's so much misinformation out there. And that's how I think people get into conspiracy theories is they start quote unquote researching something from poor sources and they don't right. learn I need to listen to the other side because they're the bad guys. Rather right. than go, I need to hear all sides. And so it reinforces this. And you know, the way you show people how to get out of conspiracy theories is just show them a, a belief that whoever's teaching the conspiracy has that is so crazy. Like if you're a 9-11 truther and you're like, yeah, the Pentagon, you know, flew planes into the towers. It wasn't the terrorist. And then you show, well, the person teaching this also believes the Pentagon's ran by lizard people. Eventually people go, uh. And so what that does to you is you go, these people are telling me miracles happen. Right. And I trusted them. And now they're Mm -hmm. telling me, you know, Tom Hanks is a part of a cabal that where right. he eats children or whatever. Right, right. A pedophile. And you're just like, I don't know, buddy. I think you made right. some leaps in logic. And does that affect your entire ministry? And so, mm-hmm. I, yeah, it's really important that if you're in ministry and you're talking about stuff publicly to have your facts straight and to correct right. when you're wrong. Right. Um, and so... Um, did you find yourself having helpful conversations with people into conspiracy and how do you love those people and not demonize them in in the process? Well, if you have an answer, give me a call. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, I think what helped me understand, or I guess have compassion for people who bought into the conspiracy theories was, um, you know, I, I followed this woman who, who spoke out a lot against QAnon, but it was never in a negative way. Like these people are crazy. These people are evil. She did it in a way that presented facts. Right. And Mm -hmm. I, I loved learning from her because she made really good points where she said, people don't believe conspiracy theories because they're crazy. They believe conspiracy theories because they're scared. Conspiracy theories give us answers. You know, mm-hmm. it's much safer to say, oh, this is happening because, mm-hmm. you know, Trump is blowing out the underground tunnels that all the celebrities live in where they torture children than it is to say, I don't know what's happening and I don't know what's mm-hmm. to come. And so conspiracy theories give us a sense of power. And I think for Christians in particular, you know, you had mentioned that we don't have tools that teach people how to question things. And it's really easy for Christians to fall into conspiracy theories because they don't believe they have to question anything. You know, I was raised to be taught that my religion was the only true religion and that I should never question that because then the devil might get Mm -hmm. me and I'll go to hell. And Mm -hmm. 
and w- what happened is when you're when you're raised with this belief that you have all the answers and other people mm-hmm. don't I think that that really sets kind of the groundwork up to fall into conspiracy theories um, because you like to have the answers. You like to know the ins and the outs Mm -hmm. of what's going on. And so understanding that people don't fall into conspiracy theories because they necessarily want to, there's generally a real underlying fear there. A lot of people were very afraid and, 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 the fear isn't always based on truth either. This is why I think mm-hmm. it goes back to like, we need to be in relationship with people that believe differently than us. Um, but truly, I think a lot of it was, it was just pure fear, whether that was fear mm-hmm. of losing control, fear of, you know, having a world where their children or grandchildren could potentially not be safe. Um, it, I feel like the, it was almost like a security blanket for them. And, and that can be, I mean, what we all went through was a very scary, traumatic experience, you know, mm-hmm. that was not, I think, I don't think we've even really come to the place where we can, that we've realized just how traumatic 2020 in and of itself was between COVID, George Floyd, the election, everything that we endured. Mm-hmm. And so people were just really desperate for answers and really needed to feel safe. And so... It is hard for me still. Um, I still, I do have like resentment in my heart (laughs) that I'm still working through. And I think though, you know, one of the leaders in particular that was very prevalent in the conspiracy theory world, um, you know, they're, they're very sick now. And that actually is what helped me rehumanize that person again, because I realized that again, I wasn't in relationship with them at that point when this was all happening. So I started to, you know, dehumanize them unknowingly. It wasn't a conscious decision, Mm -hmm. but I just started to build arguments and anger. And now that I know that this person is, is very ill and, um, I'm seeing the struggles that they're going through. It, it did just kind of help ground me in a sense of like, Oh, this is Mm -hmm. a human being who was very, very scared who was just trying to figure out what in the heck was going on. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. I don't think this person in particular had any ill intent. Um, And and Jesus loves them just the same, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. And so it, it comes back down to like, for me, realizing I really only want to love people that make me feel safe and comfortable. It's really hard to love people who challenge me or who, Mm -hmm. um, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Well, I also think there is this fear issue. There's also this issue of we don't teach good epistemology. How do you get good mm-hmm. information? How do you hear information claims? And in the charismatic movement, we say, go with your feelings. Like your feeling will right. tell you this is God. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's not healthy either. Um, right. you, you need to listen to your feelings, but they're not the best communicators of truth and um you know i i I come from both communities and so i grew up in communities where they were taught question everything um Mm -hmm. learn how to question christianity is this the right religion is there a god that Mm -hmm. exists and 
it's so weird to watch the fruit of the charismatic church who does not embrace that. If you mentioned apologetics, that it's like you're not worshiping God anymore. You're turning to religion, right. and I'm like, we need both. Um, right. And I have benefited so much from higher education in the Christian church where we ask the hardest questions about science and religion and scripture. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And we wrestle them down to the core. And if we don't do this, then you're, everyone gets burnt out eventually because you're, right. you are teaching nonsense in pulpits right. and there's no reason for this. Um, God right. can still move in people's lives and you be highly educated. And it didn't mm-hmm. happen until, the 1700s. That's when anti-intellectualism entered the church. Before that, um, during the Great Awakenings, you know, mm-hmm. Jonathan Edwards was the third president of Princeton. We we don't have right. to throw our minds out. Um, and so I also struggled with watching people get into conspiracy theories because I... Mm-hmm. I, I I felt a type of betrayal from it. I don't know how to describe it, but um, it's one thing to even think it in private. It's another like you when you're a minister, your public speech is also tied in people's minds, and we all know this to Christ. Mm-hmm. And like we cannot. It's a higher standard. James talks about that. Like your tongue can set a whole forest on fire. And I think we have to own that as charismatic ministers is that my words aren't just because we'll say, hey, this person just didn't hear me right. And I'm like, no, the responsibility is on the communicator. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's a part of the problem. Um, what? Yeah. There's another topic, and this is off topic from politics, but maybe not. Um, You are in the body shame uh, group where you talk about body shame. I don't know if body shame group's the right phrase (laughs) for it, but um, I always admired that. Um, Could you kind of talk about your background with that a bit? Yeah. Um, So... You know, my whole life, I was very, you know, growing up female in the evangelical church. It does kind of tie back Mm -hmm. into that. You know, there was so much emphasis on your body and wanting, Mm -hmm. you know, just needing to hide it. It was going to make men stumble, all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, marry that with society where there's also a lot of emphasis on a female body. You don't need Mm -hmm. to hide it. Over, you know, they're over sexualizing everything. I developed eating disorders, as unfortunately a lot of people do, because you're just at war with your body. Mm-hmm. And um, it was, I mean, when I met you, I was, I was, you know, severely bulimic. I went through this recovery process that um, was true. I wasn't being dishonest in it. I, I you know, had stopped using behaviors, um, and. Uh, moved into what I call now a pseudo recovery where I was technically recovered, but I was still participating in wanting to actively change my body, wanting to actively Mm -hmm. lose weight all the time, that sort of thing. And, um, 
I mean, there's so much back and forth in my story, but long story short, in 2017, I had a very, very severe relapse back into bulimia. And that actually ended up being what threw me into this world of um, body positivity, body acceptance, body neutrality. And I knew I needed to do something different to get myself out from that place. So I just kind of immersed myself in um, the world of anti-diet culture, um, learning how to make peace with my body, learning how to make peace with food once and for all, you know, and I had to make the commitment where I had to say like, I can never go on a diet again. Um, and so I was in recovery, you know, privately for about a year. And then I started an Instagram account to just help share like what I had learned. And, um, and it's been a lot of fun. So I, I promote just, you know, the message of the anti-diet message, which is, you know, we're in a society where we're told men and women every single day, we're going to be better off if we're thinner, we're sold products. We see it in media. Mm. I mean, heck we even see it in the church, you know, the church Mm. uses Bible verses, um, talking about gluttony or talking about our body Mm -hmm. as a temple to shame people into wanting to be healthy or wanting to lose weight. And so, um, I actually really, when I look back at my journey, the word deconstruction, I don't necessarily like it, but I'll use it. But I, Mm -hmm. I feel like my deconstruction journey started with food and my body and Mm -hmm. challenging those systems that I had about that. Mm -hmm. And, um, then it just kind of moved into politics and then it moved into religion. And, um, I think it's been, yeah, it's, it's been very rewarding, um, to be in a healthy place with food, a healthy place with my body, and to also be able to have tools to give to others to hopefully get them into a better place as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let me throw something out for my audience because deconstruction is probably going to be a buzzword. There's two meanings mm-hmm. of it. One is Derrida, which was how I used to hear it, which is all truth and knowledge claims are power claims. And so to say I'm deconstructing is I'm finding power claims in Jesus's teaching. I, mm-hmm. uh, what people, when they're using modern phrase of deconstruction is I'm critically thinking about the culture I was raised in and I'm mm-hmm. trying to ask what is real, what what is really scientific? What does scripture really teach? What is me reading my culture mm-hmm. into that? Um, and yeah. so going on a deconstruction journey doesn't mean I'm throwing everything out. It's just I'm critically right. thinking about what was said to go what is true. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think that's got to be difficult because I do th- – this is a question I've always wanted to ask you um, is – there is a biological hardwiring for, let's say, mate selection um, mm-hmm. and all of that that I think drives people toward wanting to look the ideal. And so mm-hmm. how or what whatever their culture says the, is the ideal, how do you navigate that part uh, in, in thinking through – like I'm not giving I'm giving up all dieting practices. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you made a good point based off whatever culture you're in, whatever their ideal body is, right? Sure. And 
it changes and it's changed over time. You know, um, women's bodies, if you look through the history of it, you know, in, you know, maybe more biblical days, they were going to be a bit more rounder. Um, they just had more body fat, that sort of thing. That's what they needed to survive. Um, the Victorian age as well. And I think the Victorian age is actually when it started to shift a little bit, they started having women wearing corsets and, um, and it is going back to tribalism. It's very natural mm-hmm. to want to look like you belong in the culture that you're in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a very natural desire. For me, um, what it came down to was I'm walking away from dieting. I'm not walking away from health, which are two sure. very, very okay. different yeah. And, you know, health, we there's so many factors that go into health and there's so there's actually 108 factors that go into what determines a person body a person's body size um which is crazy because we've always been told you just need to eat healthy exercise mm-hmm. drink water you know and you'll be good but there's so many different so many different variables that go into why a person is the size that they are past dieting history, genetics, access to quality sure. foods, access to healthcare. Um, you know, so many different things. There's 108. So I won't, I won't mm-hmm. go through and list them all. Um, so for me, when I was walking away from dieting because health and dieting are so intertwined. A lot of the times in society, people don't know the difference, honestly, especially since a lot of diets market themselves as lifestyles. They don't market themselves mm-hmm. as diets anymore because they know that people know diets don't work. So they rebranded. So now it's a lifestyle change. That was really hard for me to, to navigate. And I had to question, I had to question my motive for every single thing that I did in the beginning, Mm -hmm. you know, why am I choosing a salad over a piece of pizza? Is it because Mm -hmm. I'm afraid of the calories in the pizza? Mm -hmm. Is it because I actually just want to eat vegetables? You know, that sounds good. Mm -hmm. Um, it was very tedious at first, but then over time I started to connect with what my body wanted. Um, what foods made me feel good versus what foods made me not feel good. Um, completely changed my relationship with exercise. I realized I was spending so many hours in the gym trying to like lift weights. And I'm like, I don't even like doing this. Why am I doing this? You know, just reconnecting with myself in a way of like, what do I like to eat? What, Mm -hmm. how do I like to move? And the interesting thing is I had so many food sensitivities when I was always dieting. I don't have any food sensitivities now. Um, my hormones are rebalanced. Um, my weight doesn't fluctuate anymore. There's been so many positive changes since walking away from dieting. But I, mm-hmm. to answer your question, health looks different on everybody. And mm-hmm. when people are saying stop dieting, they're not saying stop taking care of your body. And mm-hmm. it can be a very, a very nuanced and a very difficult journey to navigate in the beginning. Um, but health is still first and foremost, I think in the anti-diet community is they want people mm-hmm. to be healthy, whatever that looks like for them. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think you're bringing up a good point and I think this is a part of human existence. And I, I think even Jesus talks about this is that we can be driven by unconscious motives to do stuff. The reason you're eating right. a salad, you may be saying, I, I want to be healthy and that's cognitive. You know, your right. your emotions may be going, I just want to fit in. 
And until we bring those to the surface and go, Mm -hmm. why am I doing this really? We'll never Mm -hmm. know what's driving us. I think Carl Jung says uh, that if we let our, if we keep our unconscious motives unconscious, uh, we'll live the same way and call it fate. And I think a lot of us, we don't realize how much our culture shapes what we think is right, wrong, healthy, Mm -hmm. unhealthy, and at least just go, I'm examining this. And I know this. I know if you feel hatred toward yourself for your Mm -hmm. size, and a lot of Mm -hmm. people do, that's not of God. Um, Right. And... Like, you've got to let go of this hate and the shame with your body um, mm-hmm. and, because Jesus didn't die on a cross in, for skinny people or, or the ideal person. And mm-hmm. you would not treat your friends like that. You would right. not shame them. And so I think a lot of people really struggle with this stuff. And they, we need like a robust theology of how loving God is toward us mm-hmm. so that we can treat those parts of ourselves that don't f- meet the ideal with compassion and grace right. rather than shame and hatred. Right. Um, and I, I, I think that's beautiful is to look at the cultural ideal that enslaves people and sets them free. Right. Um, is, is, you know, a part of the heart and thrust of, mm-hmm. of Christianity. Um, yeah, and it's and easy. Go, go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say, I think where people get stuck is, um, you know, we want to change the parts that we are shame that we feel so much shame about. Mm-hmm. And it, the reality is we can't, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. on with on our own accord. You know, I felt so, so much shame about my body. And once I finally got to a place where I had to decide, I'm going to love myself or not even love. Sometimes mm-hmm. body love can be another um, unrealistic expectation. I'm going to accept myself. I'm going to um, fully live my life in the body that I have now and learn to make peace with it um, no matter what I look like, no matter what mm-hmm. I feel. And what's interesting is once I stopped trying to change my body, my body kind of naturally changed on its own, (laughs) you know, because Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, it started to feel safe. My health just started to improve in other areas. Um, And I think that's where a lot of people get stuck is the belief that once we look a certain way, then I'll love myself. But the reality is, is you can't, Mm -hmm. you can't manipulate anyone or anything into loving you. Mm -hmm. And same goes for yourself and your body. It has to be accepted exactly where you are in this moment, no matter how uncomfortable that feels. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we cut ourselves off from the grace of God who, while we were imperfect, loved us and died for us. And we don't, we try to play God. If you're trying to mm-hmm. change your body, God's the only body creator. Um, right. And so we're taking on a role we can't take on. And rather than like being a child, uh, child, children are less conscious of how they look than I think adults are. Um, right. and yeah, I think that's some freedom I've had to go through is, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's easy to 
feel shame over, you know, I'm a lot fluffier than I used to be. And, uh, <laughs> but I'm like, well, I don't want to take pictures sometimes because of that. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, right. I, I don't want that drive in me. Right. Um, and I would never ask someone not to take a picture. Right. And I think that, yeah, being compassionate to your heart is a part of the Christian journey. Like it's not, mm -hmm. well, the self-helpers are doing this and we don't really have to do it because we have Jesus. I think right. it's more like our, the our, our God is compassionate and kind. And when we are that to ourselves, we are like him. Right. Hmm. Right. So are there any yeah. closing thoughts that you would have? Any closing thoughts? You know, I, I, I honestly just want to commend you for, you know, having the conversations with me. I don't know if I ever even really told you this, but during that season, um, it was, it was really healing and good for my heart to have those conversations because it never made me feel less than, and other people mm. did, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, um, it actually, I felt very valued by you. And so mm. I, I'm not sure if I ever shared that with you, but I just wanted you to know that I really appreciate mm. just who you are and how you, how, how you navigate yourself. And I've learned I've learned so much from you and I don't just say that. I, I actually, you want to know something funny? Yes. <laughs> I actually remember something that you shared in first year, uh, at BSSM and it is something that I, to this day think about, and I'm going to get the story completely wrong. Okay. So I'm just going to share what I remember, but I remember it was towards the beginning and you got up and you shared I, that you were doing something outside of school. I don't know the situation. I feel like maybe it had to do with a car or something. And you got really mad at yourself and you like called yourself an idiot or something. Mm. Sis ringing a bell yeah. at all. Yes. It and, is. and God said to you, let's make this the last stupid mistake you ever make in the sense of like, does this ring a bell mm -hmm. at all? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what I took away from that, I probably completely butchered it, but that because whatever God had said to you had just so much compassion and so yeah. much like just such kind correction and how you were talking to yourself. And God was just like, Hey, like, it's okay. Like I'm going to meet you right here. And that story truly has always stuck with me. Whenever mm -hmm. I've had moments where I feel like an idiot or I feel less than mm -hmm. and that story just always comes back up in my spirit for some reason of like, mm -hmm. of, Hey, like, Let's let's make that the last time you ever have that thought. <laughs> you yeah, know, like let's yeah, not go. Yeah. Um, I think you'll have to tell when, me the story if you remember it. But <laughs> yeah, I, I will afterwards. But uh, so one of the things I think that's radically transformed me was if if you were to fill in the blank, and I were a pastor on the stage, and I said, "Fill in this mm -hmm. blank. Be blank as I as your heavenly Father is blank." Our mm -hmm. mind goes to holy, and in Luke, mm -hmm. it's compassionate. Mm, wow. Like the command of Christ is be compassionate as your father is compassionate. And so I think like we, we're looking through the wrong lens if we don't have compassion. Like he, he presents right. himself as a compassionate God. 
at all times in all cases. Um, so right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, yeah. My concluding thoughts are this: we are all human, and mm-hmm. we have to first and foremost find the humanity in other people. And as Christians, that means we believe everybody is created in God's image, and that image does not leave them no matter how marred or sinful we may think they are. And we can talk to people and enjoy the beauty in their lives. And if you start Mm -hmm. there, you can develop relationships, and you don't have to agree on everything. But what you can do is... Be respectful and kind, and in doing so, you represent Christ. And my right. heart is that every person I know experiences kindness. And so thank mm-hmm. you so much for listening today, and we'll talk to you next time.